As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Welcome. Hey, dudes. Oh, yeah. Hey, dudes. <laughs> Welcome to Killer Queens. Yay. I'm Tori. And I'm Torella. Yay. Yay. This is the show oh. where, um, wish we could think of cooler things. I mean, not cooler. Everything's made up and the points don't matter is badass. Yeah, but maybe more of those things. Like a different kind of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're definitely going to hear some 90s lingo. Yes, you will. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear some gal palin. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel like you're sitting around with your friends talking about a case. Yes, that's the, that's whole, the goal. The whole deal. Yep. Before we jump in, just to remind you or tell you for the first time, we've got a Patreon. You can get yes, bonus content there if you want more of this awkward turtle. <laughs> then check us out over there. We've got you can get four episodes a week. Mm-hmm. Plus, there are plenty to go back and listen to. I mean, oh yeah, yes, at least 150 bonus episodes to download and binge right this second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's worth it and everything is ad-free. Yep, all ad-free for sure. Mm-hmm. So check it out. Um, we also have a Spotify Green Room show. So it's an app called Spotify Green Room. They just came out with it fairly recently. And uh, we go live there Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Central. So if you want to actually talk with us, and we just released a like a preview of that show on this feed, so you can check it out. But if you want to chit-chat with us, come hang out there. Yeah, it's really fun. It is. It's really fun. And it's part of True Crime Tuesdays, so. Yeah, they have a whole lineup, so. Badass. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, We do have some trigger warnings for this episode. We're going to be talking about child abuse, child abduction, sexual assault, human trafficking, child pornography, and basically just police being a-holes all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you to Madison for writing this case up. Yes. And thank you to Madison for requesting it because she was like, I literally thought a bunch of people would have requested this because it is a pretty big case, but actually nobody did. So, yeah. So thank you, Madison Squared. Yeah. All right. Do you think we should just go ahead and do that? I think so. Okay. In the early morning of September 5th, 1982, 12-year-old Johnny Gosh set out for his morning paper route in West Des Moines, Iowa. Typically, Johnny's father woke up early to help him with delivering the papers, and recently, Johnny had been begging his parents to let him complete the route on his own. His parents told him that he couldn't. However, that Sunday morning, he didn't wake up his father and left to collect his newspapers alone. Other paper boys saw Johnny speaking to a man in a car and then continuing on his way. Several witnesses reported seeing the car again and a man walking out from between two houses to follow Johnny. Later that morning, neighbors began calling Johnny's parents to ask why their paper hadn't been delivered. Johnny's dad went to look for his son and found his abandoned wagon and his little dog that he had taken with him. Johnny was nowhere to be found. 
39 years later, there still has not been a proper investigation into his disappearance, and he has never been located. Was Johnny simply a runaway? Spoiler alert. I don't think so. Nope. Or was he abducted and forced into the world of child trafficking? You guys. Were you familiar with this case before? No. Okay. If you're not familiar with it, the shit that you're going to hear that is happening in our society. Yeah. It is alarming. It is depressing. It's distressing. It's all of the things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I believe it happens. I do too. And there is something to watch on this. Uh, We rented it on Amazon Prime, but it's called Who Took Johnny? And it's a documentary. Mm -hmm. And it's been covered by a lot of other people too. So there's definitely a lot of stuff. I think there's a lot of stuff on this case out there. Yes, I'm sure there is. But Johnny's mom actually is in the documentary of Who Took Johnny? Mm -hmm. And she gives a lot of insight. It's, you know, it's, it's nice to get it from an inside source. So definitely. Yeah. So John, who went by Johnny, David Gosh, was born on November 12th, 1969 to Noreen and John Gosh in Des Moines, Iowa. This was not Noreen's first marriage. She married her first husband when she was young and living in eastern Iowa, and they had two children. But her husband soon became sick with cancer. And one day, the family was hit with a tornado that destroyed literally everything. And she said that she remembered searching for her children before she finally found them both laying face down in gravel and glass. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this about her. I was so like, how much has she been? Yeah. (laughs) She thought they were dead. I mean, I thought they were too when she was telling the story. But then the rain started to pour. And as soon as the water hit them, they both started screaming. That had to have been the sweetest sound Mm -hmm. you could hear. But then just two months later, her husband passed away. And then she was left to raise their children alone, unfortunately. Several years later, one of Noreen's friends told her, like, look, you need to get back out there and start dating people again. And John Gosh Sr. remembered that he met Noreen through a friend that he'd been in the Marine Corps with. They hit it off. They eventually got married. And shortly after that, Noreen gave birth to Johnny. And Johnny, you know, by this point, is like many 12-year-olds. He loved playing with his friends outside, playing drums, go-kart racing, and building snow forts with his best friend. And this is 1969. So I feel like nowadays it's like, my kid loves playing on his iPad, playing video games. (laughs) Right. Watching YouTube, like... But the innocence of the times back then where you just, yeah, you had to get outside and play with people and friends. Yeah. And his dad said that Johnny was very thoughtful and he loved taking the time to pick out like the perfect present for anybody he was getting a gift for. He was adventurous and had his sights set on buying a yellow Yamaha dirt bike. And so that's when he got his job delivering the morning paper because he wanted to save up for it and buy it. And it wasn't long before he'd saved up enough money to finally purchase this bike. And he spent a lot of his free time riding the dirt bike with his stepbrother in nearby fields. And even after getting the bike, he still continued his paper route, bringing his little red wagon and the family dog Gretchen along with him in the mornings. I love the name Gretchen. I think it is so cute. I know. It's so cute. On Sunday, September 5th, 1982, John Gosh started getting calls at the family's West Des Moines home from neighbors saying that they were concerned because Johnny hadn't delivered their morning newspaper yet. And this was very unlike his son. So John gets in his car. He drives down the street to a nearby corner where he saw Johnny's red wagon. It said Gosh on the side of it, so he knew it belonged to Johnny. There were still papers in the wagon and Gretchen, his dog, was still there. Johnny was nowhere to be found. What a good dog, by the way. I know. She just stood by that wagon Uh waiting. So Johnny was nowhere. Uh, John drove back home and called the police, and it was 45 minutes before police arrived at the Gosh home from their department that was only 10 blocks away. 45 minutes, because it... Mm-hmm. Okay. They just, I mean, they just legitimately do not give a fuck. Right. So their first question was whether Johnny had ever run away before, and his parents were stunned because he had never, he had no reason to run away. And they knew that. Yeah. But at this time, it's not like it. things are, ne- well, sometimes yeah. things are now where child disappearances sometimes are taken very seriously. Let's get on this. Let's go ahead and let's start the search. Back then they were like, well, we have to wait a little bit. I mean, he probably ran away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and they literally were like, okay, so how many times did he run away before this? Like, the they, is yeah, they labeled him as a runaway from the moment. I mean, even waiting 45 minutes to get there when they could have been there in 10. 
Absolutely. And I think that the dog still being by the wagon is very indicative of what happened to him. Yeah. And also, newsflash, 12-year-olds don't get to fucking run away. Mm -mm. They're supposed to stay home, even if they want to. Yeah. Even if the plan was to run away, then we need to find this child because they don't get to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if there's a reason they were trying to leave the home, then we need to figure that out. But like, we need to find them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that should be priority number one, finding Johnny. Yeah. Around 5.45 a.m., a neighbor heard a wagon being pulled through his yard, and it was typically, or it's typical for Johnny to cut through his yard to get to the street where he picked up his papers. Normally, Johnny's father woke up on weekend mornings and went with him on his deliveries, but today was the only day that Johnny hadn't woken John up. Noreen said that it was up to Johnny to wake up his father, and today was the first day that he didn't. She also said that Johnny had been asking for a while to do his paper route on his own, but his parents refused. This kind of stuff scares me. It's like, there was like one case that I heard about where like this 10 or 11 year old kid like murdered a five year old on his way to school one morning. And it oh, was the first. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that his mom had let him walk to school by himself or something like that. You know, it's just like the first time something happened. I mean, they didn't even let him, but it's like the one time he didn't go with them, something happens. I know. Oh, it's so sad. It's so scary. So yeah, obviously Johnny took it into his own hands because he really wanted to do this by himself. And he was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. And what could happen? It's just so sad. Right, right. I mean, when you're little like that, you don't think about the consequences. You don't think about, I mean, even when you're in your late teens, early 20s, you're like, what's, nothing's going to happen to me. Yeah, you're invincible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A nearby neighbor, John Rossi, remembered seeing Johnny with his wagon and Gretchen, along with two or three other paper carriers collecting their newspapers at a street corner around 6 a.m. He saw a car pull up and the man inside appeared to be talking to Johnny. It's unclear, but we kind of think Rossi was out on the sidewalk, but we're not really sure if he just happened to walk by or, you know, how he saw this encounter. Johnny then turned to either Rossi or another kid and asked them to come over and help this guy. As soon as he said that, the car made a quick U-turn and drove off. One witness said that Johnny told him that there was something wrong with that guy and that he was scared. Mm -hmm. The consensus among the paper carriers was that it seemed that the man had asked Johnny for directions before driving off. Mike, another paper boy, said that he picked up his papers, and while he did that, he saw the car stop and backed up to where Johnny was walking. He saw Johnny speak briefly to the driver before it left. Johnny continued to pick up his papers and load them into his wagon. As Johnny went on his way down the sidewalk, Mike said that he saw a tall man come from out, out from between two houses and start to follow Johnny. It didn't appear that Johnny noticed this man, and the next two witnesses to see Johnny were two other paper boys. They were walking on the sidewalk across the street and greeted Johnny as they saw him. Johnny spoke back to them and they all continued on. In a nearby home, young PJ Smith heard a car door close, which woke him up. He looked outside and saw a silver and black Ford Fairmont start up from where Johnny was last seen. They rolled through a stop sign and made a left turn. A red wagon was still sitting on the sidewalk and the two other paper boys who'd walked past Johnny earlier walked back and saw the wagon unattended with newspapers in it, but they did not see Johnny. They later said that the car was a two-door, blue two-toned Ford Fairmont. So the make and model is the same. The colors have changed now. Mm -hmm. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. The West Des Moines Police Department did not believe that Johnny had been abducted. They felt it was highly unlikely that someone would take a 12-year-old boy from a neighborhood street in the early morning. Where are they getting this information from? Exactly. It seemed that the police, including their chief, Orville Cooney, were certain that Johnny had just run away. So they didn't issue an Amber Alert. They didn't start a proper investigation. I don't know. I mean, an Amber Alert wasn't a thing then, right? No, but I'm sure like an maybe an APB or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, shut down roads and yeah. Bolos. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Checkpoints, stuff like that. Well, and so the same way that we say a 12-year-old doesn't get to run away, I think that a police officer doesn't get the right to say, I know exactly what happened and here's what what happened. Yeah, exactly. So we're not going to investigate. No That's the same fucking, thing. You Mm-mm. cannot find, you cannot determine that until you investigate. I mean, come on. Exactly. But there was a law in Iowa that you had to wait 72 hours before reporting a missing child. So apparently Why? they've never seen the first 48. Exactly. And they also said they didn't need the FBI there because there was no crime. Like, we don't need help from the FBI. Because the Goshes were like, okay, if y'all aren't going to do it, then let's get the FBI in here. Like, what's going on? And they're like, okay, there's no crime. So what are you talking about? Four days after their son's disappearance, the Goshes were able to organize a search party. And John said that as he was driving, he saw an officer sitting on the side of the road tracking drivers with a radar gun. And he was like, what are you doing? Go find my son. Why are you focused on this? You need to be looking for my son. Mm Mm-hmm. At one point, police chief Cooney said in front of the gathered search group that there was no crime here, that Johnny was a runaway. I don't know how the Goshes did this. I know. Hearing that and knowing in your heart that, no, my son is missing and you guys don't care. Mm -hmm. And so then what that did to the people who showed up to search were like, wait a minute, they told me he was abducted and the police are saying he's a runaway? Like, I'm not going to give, you know, why do I need to give my time? Yeah, exactly. Why do I need to give my time for this? The Goshes reached out to a psychic who told them that their son was dead and that his body would be found within two miles of their home near a creek. So the searchers scoured the surrounding areas and creeks, but they didn't find anything. Police Chief Cooney continued to deny that there was any crime that had been committed despite Noreen's persistence and the information from the witnesses. In a news article, he was quoted as saying that he didn't give a damn about what Noreen Gosh had to say. Nice. That's nice. That's that's a a mother who has lost her son. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're putting in print, I don't give a shit. Yeah. So he continues to bitch and whine. Johnny is still missing and they're no closer to finding him. A composite sketch of the man that had been seen in the vehicle was released to the public. And we don't know who made the composite because it seems like the police didn't give a fuck. So it may have had to been something that the goshes hired out, but either Mm -hmm. way, something was released. Along with the sketch, a description of the man was released, reading 5'9", 175 pounds, dark eyes, black eyebrows, older, early to mid-40s, black hair, and older, I'm sure, is coming from all the kids that saw him because— Right. Mid-40s is not uh, old. Yeah, that's hurtful. Uh, Combed back, full in back, black mustache, heavy beard or unshaven appearance, Latin appearance. This man may be driving a two-tone blue car, real dark top, and light blue bottom. Mid-size, 79 to 81 model, clean inside and outside, no vinyl, top plush interior, Iowa plate. Oh, that's very specific. Very specific. Mm-hmm. But we didn't, nothing came of it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So, unfortunately, time continues to pass with absolutely no developments in Johnny's case, but complaints began to surface about police chief Cooney. A total of 18 officers made complaints about him, and the complaints involved doing police work after consuming alcohol, fixing tickets for friends and family, racism, and interfering with a department investigation involving his son. Six months after, Cooney resigned. Hmm. I just still don't get, like, what his vendetta is against the Gosh family. I don't either. I mean, it seems like— I mean, this is not the first time we've seen something like Mm -mm. this either. He just seemed to be—because Noreen— she is a fucking fighter. Yeah. She will not stop. I do not blame her. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like the mother bear in her, exactly. you know? And I don't blame her one little bit. And I honestly wouldn't want to go up against her, but I also admire her, the drive and the, you know, mm-hmm. like just or the fight in her. I think it's so amazing. And I'm sure that that rubbed Cooney the wrong way because we have seen, this is a sweeping generalization. I don't mean it for every police 
every uh, law enforcement officer, you know, Mm -hmm. police officer, whatever. But sometimes they don't like somebody bucking up to him. Mm -hmm. So if they thought, if Cooney was like, he's a runaway. And Noreen's like, oh, no, the fuck, he was not a runaway. Mm -hmm. He would never do this. I think that it wouldn't surprise me if Cooney is like, uh, well, now I hate you. Mm -hmm. And especially a woman trying to tell me in that time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So despite absolutely nothing happening in her son's case, Noreen did not back down. She was constantly doing TV and newspaper interviews and she had flyers and buttons and signs. She was not quiet about the search for her son. The Goshes had received hundreds of phone calls and letters from families across the country who also had missing children. These parents expressed their sympathy for what the Goshes were going through as well as their frustration with the police. They were also contacted by a man named Ken Wooden Wooden was a child safety expert and specialized in sexual exploitation of children. At the time, the term pedophile was not a well-known term. In fact, Noreen had never heard of it before. And I think what Wooden said was he suspected that Johnny had been abducted by a pedophile. Mm -hmm. And of course, this information is super shocking and upsetting for Johnny's parents. On August 14th, 1984, two years after Johnny's disappearance, this is another thing that is just so hard to hear because it's like, okay, we're at four days and then we're at, I mean, it's been over 30 years, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, how do you go on? But again, like she's a fighter. But two years after Johnny's disappearance, 13-year-old Eugene Martin disappeared while delivering papers early one morning in nearby Des Moines. Man, it's the amount of children that run away in the early morning hours is insane. You also there. have newspaper routes. Right. That have obligations that they're in the middle of fulfilling, but then they just up and decide to run away. It's crazy because obviously they're not being abducted. Before. Right. No, but they're never they're not being abducted. That's not happening. No, because people people wouldn't use that as a way to abduct children. No, of course that not. Make sense. Kind of vulnerable. And it's early, early morning hours. Mm-hmm. Unattended children, yeah. And I know in August, it might still be, it might be light out by then. I don't know. I would guess though, if it's five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. It's still dark. It's probably, yes, it's it's probably still dark. The sun's coming up. It's kind of, you know, it would be a, I don't want to say it'd be a good time to abduct a child, but you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's, they found something that worked. Yeah. The kids are on their own Mm -hmm. walking around the neighborhood. Yeah. In the dark. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody's up watching. Like, exactly. Witnesses reported seeing him talk to a clean-cut Caucasian male in his 30s sometime between 5 and 6.05 a.m. Between 6.10 and 6.15 a.m., Eugene's newspaper bag was found on the ground with several newspapers still inside. Police never identified any leads, evidence, or suspects, and Eugene has never been found. Strangely enough, police from both Des Moines and West Des Moines Say they can't connect the two disappearances. Literally, one of them said, the only thing that's similar in this case is that, what did he say? That they're both boys or something? Mm-hmm. Something like that. He said everything else. He was like, they don't look, they look very much alike, first of all. Yes, they do. They're within a year of each other. They both have newspaper routes. They're both by themselves. They're in a certain mile radius of each other. What do you mm-hmm. mean there's no similarities? He's like, there's literally nothing similar about the two cases at all. It's literally the same exact thing happening two years later. Mm-hmm. I mean, just ridiculous. In September of 1984, a local dairy company came up with the idea of putting Johnny and Eugene's photos on the side of their milk cartons to help spread awareness of their cases. John Walsh, the host of America's Most Wanted, whose son was abducted and murdered in 1981, met multiple times with the Goshes. Walsh, the Goshes, and parents of other missing children together started the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which you'll hear NICMIC is like the acronym. In 1984, in the same year, the Johnny Gosh bill was passed by the Iowa legislature, and this required law enforcement to immediately investigate missing children cases where foul play was suspected. But the thing is— That's still a caveat that, yeah, it's a Yeah, are police going to— they have to decide that there's foul play. Mm-hmm. I, exactly. And here... <laughs> it doesn't work for me. Here, they don't believe that. So so even if that bill had already been passed, they still could have been like, we're not... No, nothing bad happened here. Right. And despite these successes for future missing child cases, the Goshes still had no leads on their own missing son. 
Mm-mm-mm. And also, how awful would it be to be like, I mean, again, I, I think good things came out of it because it spreads awareness and stuff, but like your kid to be the one that like, mm-hmm. one of the ones that starts the whole like milk carton kid on the side of a milk carton. I know. Wasn't there, there was that Lifetime movie based on the milk carton? hmm Yeah. In 1985, the Goshes received a phone call around 9 p.m. one evening, and the caller told John that she'd received a dollar bill and change from a grocery store in Sioux Falls, Iowa, that had their son's name on it. John asked her to send it to him, and written on the front of the dollar bill were the words, I am alive, Johnny Gosh. Mm. Noreen and John felt confident that this was their son's handwriting. However, nothing ever came from the dollar bill. In 1986, 14-year-old Mark James Warren Allen disappeared in Des Moines. He told his mother that he was walking to a nearby friend's home and his mother asked, or he asked his mother to save him some pizza that he'd be hungry when he got home, but he never returned. Police, of course, in their grand fashion, assumed that he was a runaway. His case is still unsolved and is now classified as a non-family abduction. Law enforcement continued to deny any connection between Johnny, Eugene, and Mark's disappearances. Noreen publicly said that she felt that all three cases were connected, possibly victims of human of, of a human trafficking ring. And I mean, it's certainly possible that they're not connected, but it's certainly possible that they are. And because you've not investigated them, how in the fuck do you know you don't? That's exactly it. Like, we can, with investigations, assuming doesn't work. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's not your job. No, and if you wait years later to then finally classify this as an abduction, you've lost all that evidence. And so much time. I mean, there's a reason why they say the first 48 hours, even less for children, Mm -hmm. is crucial. Yeah, exactly. It's just so... There's not a word for it. No. There's not a word for it because it's fucking maddening. It's heartbreaking. It's tragic. It's should never happen. Well, I think it's all of the words and it's none of them. Like, I don't, I can't think of a word exactly. to it's sum n- there's up. There's nothing strong yeah. enough. Mm-mm. Like, we need, what is the opposite of scrumtralescent? I was gonna say that. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not scrumtralescent. It's, yeah, the exact antithesis of scrumtralescent. Yeah, whatever that is. You guys let us know. What is the word we're looking for? Yeah. It's gotta be the opposite of scrumtralescent. We need it. It's fucking bullshit, bitch-ass <laughs> fucking, I feel like, like on, um, we're still in Christmas yeah. times. Um, we got Christmas vacation. Where he's like, oh. holy shit, where's the Tylenol? Like, that's how I want to, that's how I feel yeah. right now. I want to go on the tirade and then get the Tylenol. I mean, it's just crazy. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So now we need to talk about Paul Benassi. 
and there's a lot here. Mm -hmm. In 1991, an inmate named Paul Benassi, who was incarcerated at Lincoln Correctional Center in Lincoln, Nebraska, came forward and admitted that he was involved in the kidnapping of Johnny Gosh. All right, so again, let's unpack this. Paul, there's a lot of stuff about Paul because at this point he's incarcerated, right? So he is viewed as a criminal. But he was, at this point, he's 24 years old. And, you know, people are like, why is he coming forward 10 years later? Like, why didn't he say any of this beforehand? Mm -hmm. But he was also a victim of a child prostitution ring in Omaha, Nebraska, beginning when he was six years old. And like some victims of sexual abuse, Paul became the bad guy and was arrested and convicted of sexually abusing three young boys. When he came forward with his confession in late 1991, he had less than a year left on his sentence, which made people wonder, like, okay, is he actually telling the truth? Because what is he gaining here? He's not gaining anything. He could actually end up in jail longer. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, it seemed— He's almost home free, and he's literally nailing his own coffin shut. Yeah. Paul had also been diagnosed with multiple personality disorder, and during his interview with America's Most Wanted, he was seen putting his head down and attempting to bring forward different personalities of his. He would have been like 15 years old when Johnny disappeared, and Paul said that it was his job to hold Johnny down in the back of the car and put a rag with, quote, stuff on it over his face. I'm assuming this is chloroform. Hmm. He said that a man grabbed Johnny from behind, put him in the back of the car, Then Paul held him down, held the cloth over his mouth until he lost consciousness. And he remembered that after the abduction was over and Johnny was awake, he told him that if he just did what he was told, he'd be okay. So, and I've heard of plenty of people developing multiple personality disorder as a way to shield themselves from trauma as a child. Sure. Aren't they calling it, is it DID, dissociative identity disorder now? Yes, that may be. That may be correct. I'm not totally sure. But yes, that sounds right. Despite how upsetting it was to hear this information, Noreen said she was thankful for Paul for coming forward and sharing this with her. She joined during the interview so that she could hear everything he had to share. So he actually, like while he's doing this interview, like she's sitting in, that has to be so hard. For both of them, you know? Sure, yeah. He drew her a map of the plan that had been made prior to Johnny's abduction, which included the streets and the exact spot from where he'd been abducted. Noreen said that it was often publicized that it was at the corner of two streets, but it was not exactly on the corner. And so Paul supposedly is drawing this map and showing this is where we picked him up, not at the corner, like everybody thought. Paul had pointed out the correct spot, according to her. He told her that Emilio was the mastermind behind the abductions. He wanted, quote, clean kids that weren't involved in child prostitution or drugs. He also said that Emilio wanted kids that were close to their families because he liked to hurt people. Hmm. There was a composite sketch made from Paul's description, and it was similar to the original sketch that had been made of Johnny's abductor. And while Noreen was in the room with Paul, she was very straightforward and asked him if he was telling the truth about what happened to her son. And Paul was like, yes, I am. He went into further detail, though, admitting that he was the first one to actually sexually assault Johnny and that the men in charge filmed it in order to advertise him to buyers. I cannot imagine sitting there and hearing all this about your son. He said that they kept Johnny tied and gagged most of the time, and he told Noreen that Johnny talked about meditation and that he'd seen his mom do it before. And Noreen was like, okay, I've never told the press or the police that Johnny had gone to yoga classes with me because it wasn't relevant to the case. I didn't talk about that. But Paul knew that. So, and Noreen was a yoga instructor. She's been a yoga instructor for like the last 30 years. Yeah. Like, yeah. She couldn't see how Paul would know that unless Johnny had told him. Like, you know, again, she didn't put that in the press. So how would he know that? Mm -hmm. Paul also described a birthmark on Johnny's chest that looked like South America. This birthmark had been widely described during the search for Johnny, but Paul was also able to list other marks that weren't shared with the public. He talked about the scar on Johnny's tongue from where he'd bitten through it as a young child, a burn scar on his lower leg from touching a hot tailpipe, and the stammer that he would get when he was upset or nervous. And she says this information was absolutely not publicized. Like, I mean, this is incredibly specific. Very specific. And when when you're giving like, big details about somebody like hey you know like 
this person has like a tattoo on their, you know, like a sleeve tattoo covering their arm or like whatever. Mm-hmm. You're talking about big stuff. This big birthmark on his chest, you might see that. But like, you might not be with him, certainly not long enough to see his tongue, you know? So it's like, Mm-mm. I'm not going to publicize that. It's not going to help. Right. But he knew about it. Or that when he gets nervous, he's going to maybe stammer or stutter. Right. America's Most Wanted shared the unedited film from their interview with the West Des Moines Police Department. And they said that after watching it, Paul didn't say anything to prove that he had firsthand knowledge of the crime. They were like, we don't see anything here that says that he knows more than anybody else. And they refused to interview him. And when they asked the police, like, why not just interview him? Like, if you're so positive he has nothing to do with it, interview him and then put it to rest. But you've not spoken to him, right? Right. I mean, if if you're so sure that what you think about him is correct, interviewing him is just going to validate exactly (laughs) what you're saying. And the guy was like, well, we'll interview him when we feel like it's the right time. But nobody's going to tell us to interview him before that. Oh my gosh. I cannot imagine the frustration. Like how people who have to deal with this kind of stuff are not on the news more for being arrested I know, I know. or it's doing such, something yeah. to retaliate is beyond it's me. It's such a pissing contest. It's ridiculous. Yes. And it's literally like you guys are measuring dicks over the fact that my son is missing. Really? This is why exactly. you have to like, yeah. You want to prove that he's not missing. Like, fuck Fucking off. find my son. Yeah. Yes. So they didn't interview Paul, but they did go interview his siblings. Ten years later, they interview his siblings. <laughs> and they told the police that Paul was in Omaha at the time of the abduction. So he couldn't have been there. And they were like, okay. You know what? It does make sense, though. Uh, if, you're, if I needed to ask you a question, I'm going to ask all your friends that question instead of you. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way I'm going to get straightforward information. That's true. And I mean, like, if they went to the job that he worked in, which he wouldn't have because he was young, but say he did, and he was clocked in that day or whatever, and you have a record of that, okay. But just going and being like, hey, y'all remember this day September 10 years ago? Um, Of course you don't fucking remember that day. Where where was your brother (laughs) that day, though? Yeah. Oh, I think he was in Omaha. Great. Perfect. I talk to you multiple times a day. I don't ever know where you are unless we're recording Mm -hmm. because I'm not with you. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not you. So exactly. And and they said that like, okay, Omaha isn't that far from Des Moines. It's only a couple hours, maybe two and a half hours. You can drive there and back in a day if you need to. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's just ridiculous. I don't know. Well, and the abduction happened in the early, early morning hours. Yeah. So So that's plenty... Well, yeah, and that's plenty of time if that was on your agenda to snatch a child and then drive to Omaha. Yeah, if they're even remembering the correct day because that day to them was not an important day. Right. So I don't know. During an interview with Inside Edition, Noreen said that she felt like Paul shared so much information that would have been impossible for him to know unless he had actually spent time with Johnny. And among the information that Paul had, he also had many letters that were sent to him from around the country that said that they were victims of the alleged sex ring that took Johnny. These letters were sent before Paul had told his attorney about his involvement. And some of the letters even referred to Emilio by name and referred to another child as JG. And Paul said that he believed that Johnny was still alive. Lieutenant Kyle McKinney of West West Des Moines Police Department said that they might interview Paul in the future, you know, just even after hearing all this, even after seeing all these letters, they're like, Mm -hmm. you're not the boss of me and you never will be. I'm going to do it when I want to. So more and more people are like, well, this is a cover up then. Like, why won't you go talk to him? Why do you refuse to talk to him and put this to bed? It just makes people more and more suspicious. What do they have to lose? Just go talk to him. Exactly. And there are a lot of people that think that Paul is a con man, but what would he have gained by, you know, but, and there are people, there are people that will thrust themselves into an investigation just for like attention and stuff like that. So I'm not saying that that's not possible. Yes. Falsely confess Mm -hmm. that they did something. Sometimes a missing person, somebody will be like, I'm that missing person. You know, people do some crazy stuff to throw off the case. Yeah. But it's not just his confession that I'm thinking about. It's the letters. Mm -hmm. 
it's very, very intimate knowledge of certain things about Johnny. Like, yeah. Even if you think, well, this guy's a con man, look into it at least. Uh, Yeah, at least. Like, until you find evidence proving that this is not true, then yeah, look into it. So around the 10-year anniversary of Johnny's disappearance, America's Most Wanted featured his story. And John Walsh questioned why more wasn't being done in the investigation. And police continued to say the information wasn't valid, the witnesses weren't credible. Paul said the men in charge would take pictures of the children and force them to do things, and eventually using this to blackmail them so they wouldn't leave or to drive them so crazy that they forgot where they were or who they were. Paul said that he had actually seen Johnny again in 1986 while on a trip to Colorado. Johnny had been purchased by a man that was known as, quote, the Colonel. And he said that Johnny must have tried to run away at some point because they'd branded him with, it was like a mark with an X and a curved line underneath. And this was talked about on the America's Most Wanted episode. And soon after, people started calling saying that they also had the brand, the same brand, and confirmed Paul's story. I mean... (laughs) These people are branded. Yeah. And there are multiple people who have had the same exact thing happen to them. Mm -hmm. So then Paul also described a house in Colorado where many children had been kept. And he said there was an underground chamber in the back behind a grate. So America's Most Wanted went with Paul to the house that he described. And it was there. They walked Mm -hmm. through it. And Paul was very emotional when he got close to the house. I mean, he had to like take a break and, you know. Well, because this was his life. Yeah. Behind a grate at the back of the house, there was a large dirt hole that led to a dirt wall basement area. There were wooden beams with kids' initials carved into them. Mm. Paul said that this is where they'd hold the kids and put them like when the police came by. One of the men who assisted in America's Most Wanted interviews with Paul said that there were some things that were true and some that weren't, but all that mattered was what they could prove in court. And that's not much of anything. You know, it's like, okay, well, there's initials, but could there, you know, like, but we don't have any of the kids. And, you know, he said that if America's Most Wanted couldn't solve this case with their vast resources and networks, that nobody could. And the West Des Moines Police Department still never interviewed Paul Benassi. Never. Watching who took Johnny, I, the photos, Mm -hmm. I, and we'll get into those a little bit later, but I cried. Mm -hmm. Like, it's disturbing. It is so sad. I don't understand this world we live in where there are people out there that could do something like this to a child. I just don't. No, and And Paul, if he's, he's turned around and been arrested, you know, for things, but it's like, Mm -hmm. If any of this is true, he was forced into that. He had no choice. Well, yeah, and he explained, and I'm sure it's been explained by other people, that the people who started this, who brought him into it in the first place, any of them, they go to such great lengths to make sure that you're never getting out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, and especially during this time, if somebody releases photos of you as, you know, a teenage boy or whatever, or a young man, doing things with other men. I mean, you could, you know, you're never going to get a job anywhere. or You could lose your job. Like, there are so many things that they could do at that time, you know? Mm-hmm. And they they preyed upon that. And I'm sure that they, you know, were like, oh, well, your parents aren't going to love you anymore. Like, look at what you've done. Look at all these things. Like, right. you're a criminal now. You're part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so sad. Well, and I read... I used to be really into Marie Claire magazine. I cannot find the physical print anywhere. I don't know where you buy it. I would love to keep reading it because I enjoy it. But there was an article about, this was a couple of years ago, about how people would either text message or like chat with young, like preteen adolescents, let's say. And they would send them something and be like, hey, I have nude photos of you already. If you don't want me to leak those, you need to send me more nude photos. And they're freaking out because they're going to be released and people are going to see them, which is a lie. They don't have anything on them. And that's how they get more nude photos from them. I mean, and it's just, this happens. Like, that's the thing. Like, the police are talking about this. Like, are you fucking kidding me? What a crock of shit. This is so stupid. I was talking about this this morning, actually, and we've talked about it on the show before, but the NFL draft came to Tennessee, Nashville a couple of years ago. Maybe several now. I can't remember. 
But I remember the local news put out an article and was like, hey, you know, if you have kids and you live in Nashville, like, look, anytime, anytime a large number of men converge on one area, so like something like that, a bunch of men are going to come into town, your human trafficking is going to go up through the fucking roof. Mm-hmm. So make sure you know where your kids are, what they're doing. And one of the biggest ways at that time that they were getting victims was through Snapchat because Snapchat's like setting was automatically to keep your GPS on. And it's apparently a very robust GPS system. Tori doesn't like when I say robust. Well, I think of the only term, the only time that I hear the term robust usually is when talking about like wine or something. So I wasn't expecting you to use it for something else. Yeah, it doesn't really like, fit here, but I just wanted to say it. To you had to say off. it. Yeah. Yep. yeah, sure. Um, So it would literally pinpoint kids pretty much down to an intersection. And so they were like, make sure that your kid, because the, the default for the app is to have GPS on, not off. So mm-hmm. they were saying, be mindful of that. Make sure your kid's GPS is turned off. Now, kids like to use it because they want to see like where their friends are and stuff like that. But I guess you don't realize like other people can see that too. So they were like, just make sure that they have it turned off because they will literally find a kid at a fucking intersection through Snapchat and take them. Mm-hmm. And then because of like all the interstates around here, it's a really mm-hmm. big hub anyway. So like then they can just boom, boom, boom. Yeah, this is a central point for a lot of places. You can make it pretty quick, a quick straight shot to uh, Chicago. Exactly. To, to a bunch of Atlanta. To, yeah. Yes. Oh, God, it's so scary. <laughs> so scary. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So. In 1988, allegations began coming forward against a man named Lawrence E. King. King ran the Franklin Community Federal Credit Union in Omaha. And among other things, the allegations against him included child sex abuse, sexual abuse, and child trafficking. Paul was a witness who backed up allegations of child sex abuse against some of Omaha's most influential citizens. Paul said that he was kept around to see everything that went on because he did what they asked him to do. He wasn't worth anything to them because he was quote unquote used, but he helped them. So they kept him around. Paul said that there were two types of children in this child ring, the throwaway kids like him who were homeless or had been abused in the past. And then the kids who were clean and from good homes. This is all his words. That's yeah. Yeah. A grand jury investigated these claims, but ultimately determined that they were baseless and called them a, quote, carefully crafted hoax. Hmm. The charges were dropped and the allegations from Paul were credited to his multiple personality disorder, DID, and he was charged with perjury. Those charges were also dropped. King ended up serving a 15-year sentence for committing multi-million dollar fraud in his company. However, the allegations of abuse didn't stop, but the FBI was no longer investigating them. And during an interview on the Who Took Johnny documentary, they refused to answer questions about Johnny Gosh. Paul eventually filed a civil suit against King, accusing him of multiple sexual assaults, holding him prisoner, and forcing Paul to scavenge for other children. And King didn't appear in court. The judge ruled in Paul's favor, and he was awarded $1 million, which was never, ever paid to him. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, which he never saw, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I was honestly surprised that the judge awarded in his favor. Uh, Same. Because I thought he was just going to be like, nope. But, like, they straight up said that the money trail leads back to human trafficking. Mm -hmm. 
And like, you know, the producers who sat down with the FBI finally, because the documentary that was trying to work on this, first of all, got squashed by the Discovery Channel because they didn't want to fuck with it. Once all this stuff started coming out, Mm. they were like, "Uh uh-uh, it's done. You cannot, you can't do that anymore. You have to stop the project completely. But they finally get the interview with the FBI and you know that they want to talk about Johnny Gosh. I mean, it's a big part of why they set it up. And then they're like, okay, so were you familiar with the Johnny Gosh case? And the lawyer, I'm sure it's a lawyer in the background, like, ah, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. And you know, they're like, that's what we fucking came here for. Well, yeah, it's like, what is the point of this interview? And did you see the way he, the guy in the FBI who was like, "Um, no, I am not personally familiar with that kid. And he's blinking a lot. And I was like, he's lying. Yeah, tell me you're lying. He's not being truthful. Yes, he's not telling the whole truth. He's like that Mickey. I forget Scott. He went by so many different things in Love Fraud. Oh, yes, Scott. Whatever. Yes, he did that. He would like do this weird blinking and like his voice would do. Yeah. Well, yeah. You look away. You. Yeah. (laughs) There are so many indicators of liar, liar, pants on fire. Exactly. The strain of Johnny's disappearance eventually led Noreen and John to divorce in 1993. And during Paul's trial against King, Noreen was questioned in court. She was asked if she'd ever seen or talked to her son during the years he'd been missing. And she refused to answer until the judge told her that either she had to answer or would be found in contempt of court. She told them that she had seen him once. In 1997, Noreen had moved and was awakened by a knock at her door around 2.30 a.m. When she answered the door, she found two men standing there. She said that she immediately knew that one of the men was her son. She recognized his eyes. The man reportedly opened his shirt to show her the birthmark on his chest, and Johnny at that point was 27 years old, but he said he couldn't disclose where he had been living or what he had been doing. And he said that he was in danger and that he'd be killed if they knew he was there. He told her a little bit about the children being trafficked across the country, but he wouldn't give any details. The man who was with him stood back and didn't speak. She said that Johnny seemed to overlook or to look over to him for approval before speaking. They stayed for over an hour before leaving and Noreen was sure that the man was Johnny. And of course, the media went absolutely fucking nuts over it. And Mm -hmm. she was like, I wish I'd just been in contempt of court. And she said, and they were like, if your son was missing and you saw him, you wouldn't keep quiet. You wouldn't let him leave, like all this stuff. And, you know, she's got to be lying about this or whatever. And People are like, why wouldn't you say anything? And she's like, he asked me not to because he would be in danger. Like, yeah, I mean, she has his best interest at heart. I believe her. I believe that that this happened. Yeah, I believe that she believes that she saw Johnny. I well, don't, sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. I don't know if it was him, but I mean, a mother. I don't know. There are some things because, like, when we get to the photos, she and John Gosh Senior disagree on this. One hundred percent. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. You know, there's that book. I'd know you anywhere. I can't even talk mm-hmm. about it. I'll cry. I, oh, I read God, it with Ben one night don't. and I fucking lost my shit. Like, yeah, if you were lost, I'd know you if you know, because it's the the baby giraffe is like, well, what if I don't? I think it's giraffe. Like, you know, what if I got lost? How would you find me? And she's just like, I would know you anywhere. I would know you 20 years later. I would know you, you know, like, oh, God, don't. I am almost going to cry. Golly, it is an emotional book. And like everybody <sighs> gets it for you when you have a kid. And it's just like, how, in what world can I handle this? Like, there is not a world where I can handle this. But also, we've looked at other abduction cases where, like, you Mm -hmm. know, people keep people for a long time. They have let them go back and visit their family. Mm -hmm. They believe that they have so much control over them that they're not going to leave anymore. You know, like, Mm -hmm. okay, you can go visit your family and just let them know that, that you're okay. Well, but if this is, if this visit actually happened, look how true it is. Mm -hmm. If this actually happened, he went to visit his mom. And then he went back to do what he had been doing. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does happen. So again, I believe that she believed it was him. I want to believe that it's true. And that's what I'm choosing to believe. I yeah. believe that it happened. In 2006, Noreen received an unmarked package that contained dozen photos of who she claimed was Johnny. And that's dozens, not just dozen. Is that what I said? You said that contained dozen photos. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple dozens, my bad. Yes. The photo showed a young boy bound and gagged, and other photos showed three boys also bound and gagged. Noreen was sure that the boy in the solo photos was Johnny, and she ended up tracking the photos to a child pornography website that was quickly shut down. Here's my question about shit like this. We track it to a website. We can't figure out who's running the website. I know. Like, 
Ah, it's so, it's like, well, we shut the website down. I thought that everything was tagged or tied back to some kind of an ID that's specific to- Yeah, like your IP address or, yeah, like something. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's like, I know there's like a dark web too, which I don't even know how, like, do you just Google like- Proxy? Go to the dark dark web, like, I don't know. (laughs) www.darkweb.com. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. No, check it. No, try it. Let me see. (laughs) Um, I remember watching- YouTube videos, one of my friends was like, hey, have you ever seen these YouTube videos? And it's mystery boxes that people have bought from the dark web. And even just watching YouTube videos like that, I was like, I don't, I'm scared. What? So I would mystery boxes? Mystery boxes. You just go to www.darkweb.com and you click mystery box and you just don't know what you're going to get? I have no idea how. I don't what the understand fuck? it. What was I it don't them? Some weird ass shit. It was just a lot of like really unsettling things, like weird looking dolls and like pieces of children's clothing and Ew. shoes and things. Yeah, it's just stuff like that. Oh my God. I couldn't watch. I watched maybe two and a half of them and I was like, enough for me. I'm not watching this anymore. Yuck. Ah, uh, yeah, that's just crazy. Like if you're making a purchase online, you have to have something electronic, right? So like, yeah. Why can we not track some of these people down? I just don't understand it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I also, this is also coming from somebody who like vaguely knows how to use my computer. So like, I'm not, I'm not the, you know, authority <laughs> the expert here, on that. Authority. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the only other person that you're talking to, bear, oh I have God. to ask you how to do yeah, things. So you're like a grandma. I really am. I'm like that stupid old lady that is like, I want the best of the best. And then I'm like, but how do you turn it on? <laughs> Something wrong with this thing. I know. Yeah. It, yeah. It's in the computer. I know you and Andrew are like almost on the same fucking level. Andrew every day is like, this fucking computer is broken. It doesn't work. I'm like, you're pushing the wrong button. He's like, fucking Apple. They do all the wrong buttons. <laughs> I will have you know that the other day, when I was trying to make Camtasia work, I was like, I don't understand what's happening here. And rather than calling you, you know what I did? I Googled it. Oh my God, I am so proud Fixed of it. you. Fixed it. Good for you. You're growing. I am growing. Yeah. I'm big and strong and growing. I know that's not the words, but I like to say it. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. That's how I believe it. it is. Okay. So she tracks the photos down. It's The website mm. is shut down. That's a lot of S's and H's and... Some together, some not. Yeah. Yeah. She points out a dark area in the photo that she thinks is Johnny's birthmark. And Glenn Miller from the NICMIC said that the photos weren't good for a serious facial comparison because of the quality, because it's further away, so they'd have to blow it up too much. And then once you blow it up, it would be blurry. Yeah, it's blurry. It's just not a good. But officials in Florida were able to 100% identify the three boys that were tied up in some of the photos, and the perpetrator of those photos had already been dealt with, they said. The investigator of that case said he didn't recognize any of the solo photos of the young boy that Noreen said was her son. I'm telling you, because they show some of the photos. Side by side. It looks like Johnny Gosh. It looks just like Johnny Gosh. Mm -hmm. The face is the fucking same. It's exactly his nose, the same. his eyes. He's yes, thinner in that picture, yeah. but it does look a lot like him. I found it to be, because I think my heart stopped when I saw it because I was not expecting to see photos like this. I wasn't either. Did you hear it, He's name? Yes, I did. He is gagged. He's tied with his hands behind his back. He's laying on a bed. And you, you see this. And I audibly gasped and I was like, oh my God, that's him. Yeah. Yeah, it looks just like him. Now, and this was when, I, was when I started to cry. There are multiple photos. So the one where he's laying down and she points out, she's like, you can see the shadow and that's his birthmark. There are other photos where he's like up on his knees or standing and you don't see that birthmark in it. Mm-mm. So John Gosh Sr. says, this is not him. I don't think it's him. First of all, his birthmark isn't there. And then he also said that his feet were way too small. This person's feet were very small. And he's like, even if he's lost weight, his feet are going to still be the same length. And he's like, his feet were bigger than that, even at 12. So if he's supposed to be like, what, 16 now or something Mm -hmm. in these pictures, like his feet should be bigger. So again, they disagree on that. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not discrediting what John Sr. is saying. You know, I think that it's all about kind of your perspective. Do I think that it was him? Yes. Does he think that it wasn't? Yes. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But 
I do know from personal experience, when I was a baby, I had a birthmark on my thigh. I think it's on my left thigh. Do you not have it anymore? It's faded. Hmm. Because you had that, I mean, even through high school, I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was late in life, and now it's faintly, faintly there. Really? Yeah, because mm-hmm. it was very... It was pretty pronounced. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's ba- barely there now. Hmm. So birthmarks can fade. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I never... Because you had it for so long. I just thought it, that's just how I it was. I had two. I had one on the top of my thigh and one on the back kind of close to my... Mm-hmm buttocks yeah and they're both faded the one on like close to my booty is more there than the other one is hmm. that's interesting i didn't realize mm-hmm. they'd fade i mean i don't often you know check your thighs so but you know <laughs> it's like been when a while we younger, since i've like, had a good in, thigh check in yeah that's true like in bathing suits and stuff you know i mean yeah. it was just it was still there i never realized it faded yeah it's faded wow that's crazy noreen continues to fight to have her son's story heard. There are many people, especially in the Des Moines area, that think she's lost touch with reality. Some believe that no two men ever came to her door that night, but she truly believes that she saw her son. Unfortunately, you know, there's nobody to corroborate it. John Gosh said that he's not sure that the visit ever happened. Noreen has remarried to a man named George Hartney and teaches yoga for stress management. During an interview for the documentary, he is asked what he loved about Noreen, and he, his answer was her willpower, but he got so emotional saying it. It was so sweet. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, it's just not the easiest thing in the world to be Noreen Gosh. She is very active in the community of adults with missing children. She often goes to visit and help them through the process. Johnny Gosh has never been located, and investigators have not released any new information about his disappearance. Johnny would be 52 years old now. Mm. So sad. I just, there's just so many other things. Like, and you guys, this could be a 10-part show. Like, yeah, there's absolutely. so this, much. This could be an entire season. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things. Series. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you get involved in, like, all these politicians and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. We tried to condense it, but give it give as much information as humanly possible. But, yeah, there's so much there. It's such an extensive case. But, you know, let us know what you think, because anybody that knows me knows that I do not enjoy unsolved cases. But this one is. A, and the, the reason why I don't like them is because it makes me sad. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, there's no closure and it infuriates me because I'm like, I want to find them. We have to find them. Mm-hmm. But this one is especially just heart wrenching because how trafficking rings like I just cannot. I can't wrap my mind around how someone in the world could want to do this. Right. I know. It's, and it's still such a prominent thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, now, now we know the term pedophile. Yeah. It's a household term. Like, but then they didn't. And it just, mm-hmm. it's so sad how many cases got pushed to the back burner because they were like, oh, probably run away, a teenage runaway, fuck them. That wouldn't happen. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking specifically of Jeffrey Epstein and his mm-hmm. affinity for very unsavory, disgusting, uh, illegal things and the amount of money that he had kept a lot of people quiet. Yeah, exactly. So, and yeah, if you look at these other, like, in this case, it goes up to politicians and, mm-hmm. you know, like senators and all these people. Like, these are people that have money and they have influence. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. Like, yeah. And why why they're untouchable. And there, like, there is an organization called NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association is a pedophilia advocacy organization within the United States. It works to abolish age of consent laws, criminalizing oh. adult sexual involvement with minors. And their logo is like capital N, capital A, capital M, and then a B lowercase, and the M and B are together, and then capital L and A. And the capital M is for man, and the lowercase B is to symbolize a boy. I want to go on a rampage. I I can't live in a world where this shit is happening. I cannot. I can't live in a country where this shit is happening. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm pissed. 
pissed us not. Do you know what I mean? It's it's back now. We're back to that. What's what's a strong and afford for this? Right. How is this happening? Right. I mean, and it's a thing. And it, you went. You found a website. Like they're proud. Uh huh. Well, that was on Wikipedia, but they do have a website. Yeah. No, but I'm saying like it's not something that's like on the dark web. You could find it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Nambla.org. <sighs> Gross. Oh my god. Why? These are children. We need to protect them at all. I don't, okay, I just, we're going to either have to stop talking about it or we're going to have to make this three and a half hours long because I am, my hate fire is burning. Yeah. Yeah. Stories of man boy love. <sighs> oh, don't. I cannot. Oh my God. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, so for people that are like, well, this is fucking stupid. That's not that like, no, it is. It's no, it, it's very much a thing. I cannot believe that it's true. Mm. Yep. So uh, I think needless to say, if you somehow have any information about the Johnny Gosh case, call Noreen Gosh. Don't call the fucking police department. No. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure she's very active in the investigation, her, her own investigation still. So there yes. are ways to find out how to get that information to her if you know something. Yeah. But uh, Ugh, yeah, it makes my stomach. I know hurt. it's so heavy. It's it's one of those that is just yeah, it just hurts your heart. It does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let us know what your word is. What word did you come up with? Yeah, opposite of scrumptulescent. Yep. Just be thinking. Yeah, yep. and uh, probably all your shits out the window. So <laughs> all my nose. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 